0: I'd love you to turn your Bibles to page 970, to Matthew chapter 6. And some of you may be a little surprised that we're still in the Lord's Prayer. So we've been in the Lord's Prayer for a um, a number of weeks, and last week we finished. And here we are again. And it's because, as I reflected on all that we've done and all that we've thought, I want to kind of try and tie some themes together. And I want to try and be practical in helping us to think about the way that we pray. Um, but I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer again. Good for us to keep hearing it, to keep reminding ourselves of it. Is this ringing? Shall I change to his? Are we all right? Great. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Let me read uh, this again, which I think will be familiar to us. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here's what I want us to do um, this afternoon, just for a a few minutes and I'm aware that some of us have come back from being at Revive, so some of us will be a little sleepy. Um, Some of us might just be sleepy anyway, that's okay. Um, What I want us to do is I want us to think, you know that experience when if you've tried to pray and you pray and then you have that weird feeling of, has anything happened? Did that do anything? What was that I've just done. Whether you spent two minutes praying a prayer or an hour praying, you think, how do I know if it's actually changed anything or done anything? I think that can be one of the biggest reasons that we don't pray, because it doesn't seem to do anything. And whether we pray for two minutes or an hour or not at all, it's difficult to discern difference sometimes. Well, what I want to do this afternoon is I want to try and paint three pictures for you, pictures from the Bible, not literal pictures, you'll be glad to know. I want to try and paint three pictures to encourage you, to assure you that when you pray, something extraordinary is happening. So I'm going to paint three pictures and each of these pictures is going to lead us to a posture in prayer. And my guess is this afternoon that of these three, one of them will particularly help you. That's what I've been praying. I've been praying that one of these images for different people in this room, that God would use his word to speak to us in different ways and and, and that it might even change the way we pray this week. Now if all three of these uh, help you then great, well done. But we're aiming aiming just for one (laughs) as we go through. Let me explain um, what those images are. Firstly, I want us to think that when we pray, we are approaching the throne. Let's take that image. I want us to think for a second of what it means that when you pray, you approach the throne of God. I want to tease that out a little bit and see Does that make any difference to how you feel when you pray? If if we can understand this. Now, we are going to jump around a little bit this afternoon. I've got various verses I want us to go to. But I'd love you to turn to Hebrews um, chapter uh, 4 on page 1204. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 page 1204. And it says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When we pray, we approach God's throne. That's what we're doing. Now, what do you think God's throne is like? What do you picture God's throne to be? In various places in the Bible, you get descriptions of God's throne. So, for example, don't worry about turning to it, but in Daniel 7, it says this. You know, the Bible gives us pictures because we're supposed to imagine them. Not just words that we're supposed to read, but pictures we're supposed to imagine. It's, It's not wrong to try and imagine what this might look like. We'll never get it fully. But we've got to engage our minds and our hearts and our imaginations. Here's a man called Daniel, and he says, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was coming flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The throne of God, burning in its purity. It's got wheels. (laughs) I Bet you didn't picture that. Why? Because it's a picture of the fact that God is not a static God who sits in one place, ruling in a kind of, I'm going to sit here. He's the God who is, Over everything. Here is the one who reigns, whose throne is blazing with fire. And a river of fire comes out from before him. What an awesome throne. We've got to take this, we've got to try and get this picture into our heads. This is what we're doing when we pray. We approach the throne. Now, added to this, it is an extraordinary thing that Hebrew says we can approach God's throne? Because most of the Bible says you can't. Most of the Bible says you can't go near this throne. When God's people were brought out of slavery in Egypt and they were brought to Mount Sinai and God's presence descended on the mountain, Moses was told, make sure that people don't approach. They cannot approach me. That's what God said. So you have this awesome God who sits on an awesome throne who says you can't come near, you can't approach. Why? Well, because he's so burningly pure and holy and awesome and we are not, we're unclean. We've already said that this afternoon. How on earth can someone who's unclean approach God? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Only the one who has a clean hands and pure heart. Only them. That's not me. I can't approach the throne, not with, not with a heart that's so full of sin. I can't go anywhere near him. That's why Hebrews says we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may approach the throne of God? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. That will be Jesus, the King of glory. Only Jesus is the pure one who can approach the holy throne of God. And Jesus went into heaven. He went, approached the throne of God in order to make way for us. He went to be a priest. Over the course of Revive this weekend, we've been learning about the cross. We've been thinking about what the moment when Jesus died on the cross, what difference it makes. Well, the difference that it makes is that Jesus has made what was impossible before possible. He's made God who was unapproachable now approachable. And the throne, the awesome throne of God is now the throne that we can approach because when Jesus died on the cross, he cleaned me up. He took my filth, he took my shame, he took my sin and it was placed on him and he bore the punishment that I deserve and he gave me his clean hands and pure heart so that I can now approach God not as some dirty little sinner who has to sneak in the back door and go, I'm really, really sorry, but I now come and I say, because of Jesus I have clean hands and a pure heart and I can approach. And can you just notice this throne that we approach is God's throne of grace. So my guess is that for some of us, we hear this stuff and we go, I feel a bit scared about going anywhere near that throne. No, no, no. The throne of God is a throne of grace. It's a throne. When you lift your eyes and you look at the one who sits there, if you've approached him through Jesus, he smiles and he says, my child, my daughter, my son. This is what we're doing when we pray. We're approaching that throne. And we approach the throne of grace not to report for duty, not to bring something to God, but to receive what we need. To receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. This is the king and when you get to his throne you discover he's the one who says I've got everything that you need. So I want to suggest to us that as we pray this week we picture his throne. And if you approach a throne and this beautiful throne there is a posture there's a posture of humility, wonder, worship, bowing. To kneel is an appropriate thing to do before a throne, even a throne of grace. And I think we're quite bad at this. That we can be quite, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pray in all sorts, you know, we'll just loll around. Heavenly Father, hello, I'm approaching your throne. Human, human beings are body and soul and we're integrated together and what we do with our bodies affects what we do with our souls. So here's a suggestion. This is not legalism. This is not a rule. This is a suggestion that I think will help you to pray. Try kneeling before the throne. Physically to kneel and see how you, that changes the way that you approach God. It's so actually to come before God, to kneel before him and to picture his throne and approach him. That's the first posture. Perhaps for some of us this afternoon, this week is going to be a week when you discover what it means to approach the throne of God in a fresh way. We're not just talking into thin air. We're not even just talking to God. We are approaching his throne of grace. Okay, let's do another one. Second one. Oh, look, I spoiled it all. It's ruined. Second one. Um, when you pray, you're entering the battle. That's what you do. This is quite different, okay? We're going to be different to these pictures on different days. Can you turn to Ephesians 6? I know we're jumping around. I'm trying to summarise some stuff. Page 1177. page 117, 1177, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Look how this chapter goes. It's, all, it's not difficult to see that this is war language, uh, this is battle language. And you'll remember, all, all I'm trying to do here is recap some of the stuff. This is what Phil was doing on the kingdom of God when we talked about your kingdom come. We're, we're in a war, we're in a battle. So let's look at what this says and see the place of prayer. Now, look, we'll keep reading in a second, but again, it's pictures, right? We're supposed to be picturing armor. We're supposed to be saying, "I'm going into battle, and I need to put the armor on." I used to have a friend who, every single morning, would pray through these items of armor, and he'd put them on one by one, very deliberately, very intentionally. And you may say to me, how do you do that? What does that mean? Well, this is nothing weird. It is the gospel, right? You stand firm with the truth around your waist. You say, this is true. Heavenly Father, help me to put on what is true today. Help me to believe what is true and not to be distracted by what is untrue. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. That is, Jesus has died and he's given me his righteousness. I'm going to wear his righteousness today. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We are at peace with God and therefore we need to live lives. We put the shoes on that we would walk road of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. That is, I'm going to trust, not in my strength. I'm going to put my trust in you, Jesus. I'm going to raise the shield. With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. I am saved. I belong to him. Jesus, you died for me. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Holy Spirit, would you please equip me for battle. The battle lies with truth of God's Word. And then look at verse 18. And pray. Pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This is how you get ready for battle. You pray. You put on the armour, you, you think about all that Jesus has done for you, his righteousness, his salvation, faith, readiness. You put it all on and you pray. To pray in the Spirit is not some weird other kind of prayer. It's not like there's some prayer over here which is not in the Spirit. This is how you pray. You pray in the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit's help. He's the one who comes and comes near to us and equips us and helps us to pray. And you get ready for battle. So here's the challenge. If we could see the battle, would it change how we prayed? Do we pray like we're living in peacetime or in wartime? Do we pray like there's an enemy? Do we pray like there are arrows, flaming arrows that are out to do harm to us and to our brothers and sisters? As I send my kids out the door to school, do I pray with an awareness of the battle that they're entering? You see? Yes, we need to see the throne of God's grace and we need to see the battle. And we pray like we're in a battle. So let me suggest a posture that might help us. There's an amazing story in the Old Testament when a battle is taking place. And down on the battlefield, there's a battle between the Israelites and some baddies, enemies, and they're fighting. But the real battle was taking place up on a hillside where Moses is praying. And it's very explicit in the Old Testament what it says. It says that Moses prayed with his arms raised. And when Moses had his arms raised, the Israelites were winning. But Moses got tired and his arms began to fall. And as his arms fell, they started to lose. And so the two friends came and they held his arms up. <laughs> it's a great picture. Moses plunks himself down on a rock and they hold his arms up. And so that all sounds a bit weird. No, God is teaching us you win the battle by prayer. That's how you win. And so can you imagine, can you see that perhaps sometimes to think if I prayed and raised my arms to pray, I'm saying, Father, I can't win this battle. I need you. And when you're struggling to pray, to do something, to get up out of your chair, to raise your arms and to pray, it will help you. Do you know one of the most beautiful things about this idea of arms raised in prayer is that this is the one thing that Jesus is still doing for us now. Jesus finished his work when he died on the cross. He's opened the way to the throne of grace, right? It's open. You can approach. You can come in. You can approach the holy throne of God, despite how unclean and sinful we are. He gives us a clean hand. You've done that. That's finished. There's nothing more to do on that. But Jesus is still praying. In fact, if you just flick to Luke's Gospel... Um, I love this and some of you will have heard me say this before because it's great. The end of Luke's Gospel. So page 1062. The very end, where it says the ascension of Jesus. Look from verse 50. This is after Jesus died on the cross, he's risen again. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem. The picture is that as Jesus returns, he's ascended, as he leaves earth, his arms are raised in prayer over his people. And the picture is that is what he is still doing. He is praying for his people, interceding, because he is like a parent who knows how intense the battle is. So he's praying. And when we pray, we join that battle. We can't win it on our own, but we pray because there's one who's won it already. And so for some of us this week, perhaps a clarity on the battle as I'm leaving my house in the morning or even as I'm waking up I'm entering a battleground where there is an enemy who wants to pull me away from Jesus who wants to distract me with other stuff and we raise our hands and we say Father your kingdom come your will be done and we pray a throne a battle here's the last one this is the one I'm I'm excited about all of them this is what I'm most excited about. Um, when we pray, we're joining with heaven I, I I want us to go to um Revelation chapter eight and a quite extraordinary verse page one, two, three, nine. page 1329 uh, Revelation 8 um, I realise it's been a long weekend and I realise that Revelation 8 diving in to the seventh seal of Revelation 8 maybe a little feel a little heavy but we're okay okay we're going to be fine let's uh, work on this together in Revelation chapter 8 it starts like this when he opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for about half an hour <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that great isn't that great Isn't that just like, oh, how strange. (laughs) Now, let me just explain what's going on there. Um, Back in chapter 5, there's a scroll, okay? And the scroll has on it human history, but it's all sealed up and it can't be um, outworked. And and the plan of God is sealed and it can't be put into action. And it's like, who's going to open the scroll? There's no one who can open the scroll. Ah, there's no one. Yes, there is. There's one. The Lion of Judah has triumphed. Jesus is the one who can open the scroll. And then he opens the scroll and, he, and there's these seven seals. Not like, ah, ah seals. Like the um, <laughs> like, uh, wax on the seal, kind of sealing it shut. And they opens one seal at a time to reveal some of God's plan for the world, some of God's plan for history. And one by one he opens them and, and, and we see there's going to be judgments and we see that all, all this stuff is going on and God's people are going to be safe and... It's, Fantastic. The seventh seal, there's silence because it's the end. Right? That's it. (coughs) Nothing more to say. It's the end of history. Okay, now look at verse 2. And I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood, it's like a bowl sort of thing, and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. I don't think I see my prayers and their place in the great eternal plan of God. That there is this thing going on in heaven where the angel offers incense in kind of worship and mixed with the incense is the prayers of all God's people. And the picture of this world that is heading towards an ending, a finish, the climax will be as the angel offers this incense of worship, and all of the prayers of all of God's people are mingled in and go up before God. I think this is a very profound picture of the significance of our prayers. Our prayers are mingled in to the very worship of heaven and they're offered on the altar before God and they go up before God and he is pleased. Often it feels like, right, when we pray, it hits the ceiling, doesn't go any further. Revelation 8 says otherwise. Revelation, Revelation 8 says your prayer ascends into heaven itself where it is then offered to God in an act of heavenly worship. That's what you're doing in your two minutes, sitting on the tube, praying. Isn't that extraordinary? Every single prayer that you have prayed is gathered up for this moment when the angel will gather all of the prayers of all of God's people and will offer them to God. The reason I'm excited about this is it because, because it means not one, not one of the tiniest little prayers that you've ever prayed has ever been lost or has ever been wasted. Every single one of our prayers gathered up in the eternal purposes of God. You understand, right? God doesn't waste. There is no prayer you've ever prayed that's been wasted. Let me tell you a little story just to, um, and it's a story from the Bible. um, And it's a story you might know. And I just want to show you one little thing in it, just to make this point. And it's nothing to do with prayer, but it makes the point. There was a time when Jesus was faced with a crowd of 5,000 people and they couldn't eat. There was no bread. Disciples come, there's no bread. Jesus says, give them some bread. They go, but we haven't got any. Jesus says, go find out how much you have. And they find out that there's a little boy who has five small barley loaves and two small fish. This is John chapter 6. <laughs> and they, the, the disciples come and say, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far are they going to go among so many? Right, it's quite a funny picture. I've got five loaves and two fish. Anyway, uh, Jesus says just sit down, give it to me. And he prays, they give out the food, and everyone eats as much as they wanted. Right now, listen listen to this. When they'd had all when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who'd eaten. Why do they gather it up? Here is a really beautiful picture of the fact that Jesus says, no, let nothing be wasted. Here's a little boy who bought his pathetic five loaves and two fish. Jesus, I've I've, I've got this. And everyone's like, well, that's not very much. That's not very significant. Jesus says, no, in my hands it is. It is multiplied to become more and more than you could ever have dreamed and not one scrap of it will be wasted. Now I'm not saying that John chapter six is about prayer. It's not, but it is a beautiful picture of how Jesus treats his children. You give something to me, you spend you spend a minute praying, I won't waste that. That will become part of my worship of heaven. Do you see? Not even not even the tiniest little bit wasted. And at the moment it feels as though our prayers are wasting our time. It feels like nothing's happening. Just you wait. You wait till your prayers are all gathered together and it's offered before God in the incense at the very end of time. And all of your cries of, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. How long, Lord? How long must I suffer? Come, Lord Jesus. Please come. Please fix things. Please put things right. Please save my family. Please build your church. Please, Father, help me to live. Help me to fight this sin. Help me all of those prayers gathered together to be offered before God in order that his eternal purpose should be worked out. And your prayers will be part of that. And there will not be a day, you will not sit there in heaven thinking, well, I feel like I wasted all that time praying. You'll look back and you'll say, why didn't I do more? I think this is exciting. And it means when you sit down to pray and it feels so pathetic and small, the angels of heaven are gathering your prayers ready for the day when God says, now my kingdom comes. In answer to all the prayers of all of my people, all of the tears, now my kingdom comes. This is what we're doing. And we get the privilege of being part of that And so as a a posture to go along that, I guess it's an offering of our five loaves and two fish of prayers. Here's my five minutes and two prayers. Here's my my little thing I can offer. And Jesus says, oh, that's terrific. You wait wait and see what I can do with that. (laughs) Many of us feel pathetic when it comes to praying. Many of us feel like we offer so little and Jesus says, yeah, yeah, but I'm powerful. In my hands, I can take what is very small and make it a lot. And I want to encourage you, and this should encourage you, to pray more, to go for it. And so it may be that for some of us, we need to get started on praying. To pick one of these images and say, right, that's it. This week, Heavenly Father, please help me to approach your throne, engage in the battle, join with heaven, whatever it is, one of those, ask that one of those would grip your heart and would help you to pray. And then if you think, but I don't know, fine, I want to pray, but I don't know how to pray. Yes, you do. You do know how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. As it, we've got it. If, the, if that's all you do, that's not nothing it's not even small if you prayed the lord's prayer every day it would take you perhaps a minute and it would transform your life and as you begin to pray this prayer you'll find it comes alive and you'll find that it begins to shape you to pray more your your name is so good let people see the honor of your name memorize this prayer pray this prayer Pray it with one another. When you meet up with someone for coffee, why not say, should we just use the Lord's Prayer together? Use this prayer as you approach the throne of God, as you engage in battle, and as you join with heaven. Now it's hard, right? It's extraordinarily hard to pray because we're in a battle. I can sit and watch two hours of stuff on Netflix and be fine and wide awake the moment I turn to pray, oh, so tired. That just shows that it matters. The enemy doesn't mind if I watch Netflix, but he does mind if I pray. So let's pray. And let's ask that God would teach us. On our knees, with our arms raised and our hands out. Father, let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, um, I want to confess and I guess many of us in this room want to confess the way that we treat prayer casually and carelessly. But even now, as we speak, we are approaching your throne and we find that you welcome us. Even now, we engage in this battle that you've called us to. Even now, this These prayers we're offering now are part of your eternal purpose for the worship of heaven to be offered on your altar. Father, thank you for prayer. And we want to pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we Forgive the debts of others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Oh, teach us to pray. Amen.